1: these
0: books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored well hello and welcome to tfm's books and comic show for star trek i'm just one of the hosts here matthew rushing and with me i'm so glad to have him uh looking um a little camouflaged today um and and slightly rebellious casey pettit
1: i'm i'm very rebellious it is me good eye good eye oh
0: okay okay (laughs) Yeah, you were just blending into the background there.
1: Yes, I do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is uh, this is great. We've uh we're starting a new series. Um, you know, we did Voyager last time. We started that new series and now we're going to be kicking off a deep space 9 series called Rebels. Uh and very excited to be doing that, and alternating between that and of course in between all of that, we're going to have a brand new book um that's just been released by John Jackson Miller. Before we get into everything, just saying thank you. We love that you're listening. We really appreciate it. It does mean a lot to Casey and I that uh, you tuned in to Literary Trek's. And uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to your podcasts, and that way you'll get our show as soon as it drops. Uh, you can also help us out by uh, giving us a star rating review over on, say, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those type of places it really does make a difference. And in fact, if you're listening to the show and you haven't done that, please do that. It, it And we'd really appreciate it. And those who give us written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we actually just read those out in the show, too, just to say thank you. Uh, you can also find us... On social media, we're on Twitter at Trek.FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.FM. We're on Instagram at Trek.FM. You can find our listeners-only discussion group, and that allows you to talk to listeners from all over the world there. It's called the Babel Conference. Just type that in the search field. You'll find us. You can join. You can also find us online at Trek.FM and see all of the different shows that we are doing. And if you would like to make sure that all of the content that we're putting out here on Trek.FM keeps coming to you, go to Patreon and become a supporter through patreon.com slash FM. We've got some wonderful associate producers here specifically on this show. Casey Pettit is one, as well as Greg Rosier. And we do appreciate their support because we can't do this alone. Um, it's it's a big network. We're trying to do a lot of stuff for you. And it costs a lot to put all this together. And so we would appreciate your support over at patreon.com slash FM. Well, Casey, as we're recording this, today is the release date for John Jackson Miller's The High Country, which is our first
1: Star Trek Strange New Worlds book. I can't tell you how stoked I am for this. I have already dived, dove in. I've I've leapt right into this book and uh, I it's. You know people people overuse the phrase "I can't put it down," and while I have put it down, I have it so close to me that I can pick it up <laughs> at any moment uh i I am enthralled by it. it is um it's a nice uh quick, easy read, and I am just loving the story so far.
0: that's awesome. I am actually.
1: In the middle of reading the first Harry
0: Potter book again, nice. and then my very next book is is uh, John Jackson Miller's The High Country. Uh, he's going to be on uh, with us next week on Literary Treks, so you're going to be getting some bonus Literary Treks there. We're super excited about that, and I cannot wait to dive in because I've legitimately heard nothing but good things from people, uh, and I love his books. You know, uh, he did Rogue Elements uh, about. Rios, which I thought was fantastic. I really love what he did in that book, so I just can't wait to dive into this. Uh, Casey, we also got a new comic announcement, which this is going to be taking place right after the motion picture. Uh, So we've got the wonderful pajamas back, (laughs) and the crew of the Enterprise is facing some very familiar foes in a comic series called
1: Echoes. Yeah, I uh, had totally forgotten this one when after they announced it. And, um, you know, IDW has been putting out a lot of comics almost to the extent that pocketbooks used to put out books. So we're in kind of this like prime comic book era of Star Trek. And, you know, I. I have nothing but positive thoughts about this. Like they've, they've been putting out some really good stuff lately and um, you know, we haven't judged a book by its cover in a long time, but I mean, what do you think of the cover of this, of this comic? Well,
0: one of the things that I love about it is the way that it kind of echoes Ah. the poster, of course. uh, And at the same time, The art looks great. Every single character there looks like their character from this time period. So, to me, that's very exciting. Of course, we've got the refit Enterprise on there, which, uh, be still my beating heart. I love the refit Enterprise. And the idea of this comic has me kind of jazzed in the sense that they're trying to stop a war, starting with the Romulans, uh, and it turns out that they're dealing with their doppelgangers, which... Okay, so that's interesting, and it doesn't sound like it's necessarily a mere universe type thing. So I'm just left wondering what the heck is going on, and who are these echoes? Uh, and you know, maybe how do we stop them from echoing? Um, but I am excited about it, and uh, so for you, it I, I take it the art just uh tickled your fancy as well. It,
1: did. it tickled it good, and uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see. These characters in this era, like you said, they just look good, and that refit that refit Enterprise coming straight out of the the front of that comic, uh, it just looks good. So, you know, they always do variant covers, so the the artwork inside could be different. You know, can be hit or miss sometimes, but yeah, mm-hmm. this cover, it's true, it it should have some uh, some nostalgia for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: I I think it absolutely will. Uh, this is definitely a cover that is going to grab people, and so I'm looking forward to this comic, and I can't wait for it to get released. On this episode here, we've got three comic reviews for you. Uh, the first, we we've uh, got dropped Resurgence number four, and this series has continued, I think, very strong, Casey, and here um, we are... Left with the possibility and left on a cliffhanger where the Resolute uh, is breaking apart uh, because they have tested the new warp drive to get away, uh, to escape, and things don't go according to plan.
1: Yeah, this is just another, another one that's, I think, doing a good job, doing what it's supposed to, and telling a really good story, and... Basically pumping up the hype for this game that they're going to be releasing, and I, I, I mean, I'm enthralled by this by this little series that we're getting. I'm not sure; I can't remember how many uh, how many issues we're getting, but um, I am I'm invested in this story, and I want to see what happens. Um, this particular issue, yeah, just kind of upped the stakes. We've got this you know great cliffhanger like you said like we we don't know what's going to happen with the ship and you know it's just taken our our characters to new heights and the the one thing i would say kind of as a, a knock against this one if i was gonna pick something first of all the artwork is just as just as good as it's been in the other issues um they did there was like three or four two-page spreads of story mm-hmm. and for me, especially looking at that on an iPad, like, I don't think any of them really had any um, scenes that necessitated spreading it over to, I mean, there's some really gorgeous, like, exterior shots, um, you know, kind of sprinkled throughout here, but the use of the two-page layout just, it's a little clunky when, you know, reading it electronically like some of us do, But mm-hmm. but otherwise, I mean, it's just, I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm really looking forward to the next one and seeing where they go with it. Yeah, I am right there with you. I absolutely feel
0: like this, this series has just continued to um, meet the expectations that it set. You know, I had no expectations coming into this. And so this has, you know, really surprised me. And I think it's continued to be a great series. And so the... Uh, the next comic that we have, Casey, is the Illyrian Enigma, part two, uh, where, you know, we had left the Enterprise in a very precarious situation that Spock is able to find them a way out of. And then, I, I I don't know, like, should we give away what happens in this comic? Because I feel like we find out some very interesting things about the Illyrians, and then it leaves us on another kind of incredible cliffhanger going into <laughs> issue three.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is just another one. If you're a fan of Strange New Worlds, I I think you just gotta pick this up. It it really does feel like they're gonna be leading it right into the first episode of season two of Strange New Worlds. I mean, there's it does there's a lot of mystery in this still. I mean, the Illyrians are a mysterious race to begin with, but um, we've got this kind of uneasy alliance happening, which May or may not be a ruse. I guess we will see. (laughs) But... Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, I'm a fan of Strange New Worlds. And I think everybody should be and pick up this comic and, you know, see where the story takes them.
0: Yeah, I think... You know, one of the things that we mentioned a lot and every time we've reviewed the Lower Decks comic is that it feels just like Lower Decks... And I think the thing that this comic has done is capture the strange new world's feel uh, and done it perfectly. Uh, The art is great here to really capture the lightness of the characters, but in an artistic way, which is very important, I think, for a comic. Um, But I'm 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 reading this comic in just the same way that I was with the Lower Decks comic. So I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe they're allowing this to be a story in the comic. Because it's that interesting, yeah. and it feels that important, which is exactly what you want from tie in fiction, especially these type of comics where they're bridging the gap and so i I could not be more excited about a comic um except for maybe you know the next one we're gonna review, mm-hmm. which is the Star Trek ongoing series that we've got now and but this illyrian enigma is everything that i want from a from a strange new worlds comic and so i'm i love it you know i think kirsten byer and mike johnson are doing a fantastic job with the writing here uh they obviously know these characters inside and out and the story um you know i would say if you're a strange new worlds fan you're not reading this you're missing something like who would have thought you would say that about a comic (laughs)
1: Especially when our history with some of the lead ins to some of the series and movies were like countdown, which were again kind of hit or miss, you know, something to tide you over mm-hmm. until yes. a, yep. a show came out or a movie came out. But this one, this one does feel like, I mean, it's, it's the epitome of tie in. They're, they're really tying it into the story that they're showing on screen and mm-hmm. giving us something yes. to um, kind of wet our whistle while we wait. Yes,
0: hundred percent agree. Uh, so, the last comic that we have is uh, is Star Trek number four, and the we've got the Theseus, and they are on the hunt for Takan, which is this god city uh, that they were told about by Q, and. Um, this this one just has some interesting stuff in it. One, I, I think you know, Cisco trying to find a way to connect with Jake again and have a conversation with him. I love the difficulty there. Um, there's a lot of techno babble uh, <laughs> yes. in here, um, which is uh, I, I don't. Uh, it, it's a little bit much. Um, but then the fact that we find out the person who's after trying to kill all the gods. Was terrifying and fascinating all at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I will yes, one hundred percent on the techno babble. This actually kind of slowed down the story a little bit, but it's kind of another thing. I guess it's it's Star Trekky, but it's too much for a comic book. But yes, the the reveal and it's it it makes sense i guess who who our ultimate villain is but at the same time yeah it it kind of makes you, it makes you think that uh they might they might be able to succeed at killing gods they've done it before in their in their history we even get a little bit of that history uh lesson here um which we've seen on star trek before i think they or at least they've talked about it briefly but um yeah i mean I'm I'm really well, once again I'm looking forward to to where this series goes. The the Q issue, the previous issue was was okay, like it was kind of a strange one. They kind of had to bring Q in and and they even get name dropped here as well. And this issue, you know, just when you're talking about gods in the Star Trek um universe um this one I felt like we're kind of Back to propelling the story forward, and and you know, kind of seeing where it goes, and you know, I mean, kind of all these are cl- all of these issues seem to end on cliffhangers anymore, which is good because you want to keep keep the story moving and get us interested. And in, you know, I'm I'm hooked, and you know, I, I'm still wondering is is this going to tie in at all to the Star Trek Defiant? comic series that's coming out i think in march uh Mm -hmm. because you know we got warf here and he's going to be on another series very curious about that myself but we'll see
0: yeah it does feel like and i think that that storyline is maybe what they're going to do is you know they're going to interplay with one another uh is my guess but yeah yeah i felt the same way that you did, this one definitely is continuing on the story here. You know, we uh, end up at this, you know, God City Planet thing. I mean, and it's all like super esoteric Star Trekky type stuff, um, which is enjoyable. You know, it, it has hints of all the different types of stories where you've kind of visited goddish like beings um you know it it kind of reminded me of Viger a little bit uh and uh, you know it, it again it just has hallmarks of a lot of things that they've done in Star Trek but then spinning it off in a new direction and so yeah I mean this is uh, I am continually invested now in these three comics so far and I think I honestly can't remember a time when every single comic that we were reviewing on uh a, a, you know an episode was a comic that i was actually excited to be reading uh and had been keeping my interest every single issue so all i can say is in in all honesty well done uh to star trek comics they have picked up their game big time and become something that i'm really excited to be reading uh, and, of course, like you said, they're picking up the slack for the fact that, you know, we're not getting very many books right now. Uh, it seems more uh, feasible for them to be doing comics, uh, especially since, you know, comics are much easier to tell Elseworld-type stories in, and people get that, whereas, you know, the books, I think people, even though they've never been canon, uh, you know, tend to think of them more in that framework, and so... With everything that they've got going on on screen, where they still, you know, we're doing Picard season three, who knows what's going to happen after that, you know, with Strange New Worlds on on the air. Um, There's a lot in flux in that area. And so it's just like it feels like they're afraid to touch too much unless it's the original series. Uh, And so, yeah, comics are are picking up the slack, which got to appreciate that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I always could go for a another novel like the Illyrian Enigma. I wouldn't mind seeing a novel version of that story, but you know, I I historically haven't read a lot of comics. I, I've read quite a few of the old Star Trek ones from, you know, back in the day, back in the the Marvel and the DC days of and the Wildstorm and whatever they were on. But um, you know, mm-hmm. now that IDW's they've they got such a good track record, and there's obviously been some misses in there, but I feel like, yeah, you, like you said, that they're really on a roll here. I mean, I feel like once they've gotten kind of the mirror universe stuff out of their system, we've really gotten some good, good ideas and good ways that we're taking all of our characters in a good, especially in the Star Trek ongoing series, um, with, with Cisco and Worf and Data, like we're, and, and Tom Paris. I mean, like we've got like a lot of, kind of legacy characters that we're able to play with. And so it's really fun to see the ones that we wouldn't normally be seeing um, in addition to getting something totally original like resurgence and um, and then, you know, the, the strange new worlds tie in. So I'm, you know, I'm all on board for star Trek comics these days. The, you know, the one we talked about at the top here with the star Trek, echoes Star Trek the motion picture echoes I guess Um, you know I'm on board for whatever they're going to bring to us I am as well and so super excited
0: to see what comes next with these comics but Casey uh, how about we head over to uh, DS9 I mean Emissary Sanctuary take me to church well uh, we are here at church uh, I mean Emissary Sanctuary uh, and this series is I, You know, I didn't really know what to expect because fortunately for me, it's not a series I've read, which I love, and I didn't really read any blurbs or anything like this. So I just came into this completely blind, only seeing the cover. And Casey, I think to me, the craziest thing, well, one of the craziest <laughs> things that happens in this story is the fact that we get Emissary Sanctuary, which is DS9 is being transferred to full Bajoran control, which means there aren't any Starfleet officers left, for 60 days for a test run to see basically how they handle the responsibility on their own. And so, uh, what did you think of that? Because to me, I was like, okay, that's really
1: interesting. It really is. And I mean, I guess like when I step back and kind of think about it, the Deep Space Nine... Formerly Terok Nor, you know, once the Cardassians left, they constantly throughout the series refer to Deep Space Nine as a Bajoran space station. Like, it's owned by the Bajorans, but run by Starfleet or with the assistance of Starfleet. And so, to some extent, like, the Bajorans taking over—now, we'll get to Kai Wynn, but like, with just the Bajorans in general uh, taking over the station— even as kind of a dry run kind of a trial to see if they're ready to do it kind of makes sense since, you know, back, you know, in the early days of deep space nine, they were working towards Federation membership, but ultimately it it was a Bajoran station. And so to, to see how they do now with no Starfleet aboard would be kind of an interesting thing to see. Um, MSC, <laughs> emissary sanctuary is an interesting name. It's not the worst name that they could have called it, but um, when you send the emissary away to see how you do without him running it, it's not really his sanctuary anymore. So I I don't know, right?
0: <laughs> so I think the idea is interesting, and I I like the way in which you kind of frame it, which is that you know Cisco's whole mission here. Uh, was to get the Bajorans to a place in which they would be able to join the Federation, which is interesting because then the station would become Starfleet-run. I I think that if the book had, had framed this as that this is a way to see where the Bajorans are as a people, and... If they're uh, basically in a place to which uh, federation membership could be a possibility at this point, and therefore that is why we are doing this sixty-day test run to 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 get that perspective, I think that would have made a lot more sense than the way it's set up here, which is very strange and 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 really doesn't seem to have a full explanation as to why we're really doing this test in the first place. Um, because it's not connected to what you were just talking about. Right. And to me, that's actually really frustrating about the story because I, I'm i left with this whole story of Emissary Sanctuary as being like, I don't truly understand why this is a plot point.
1: Yeah, because, well, you've got, you know, if you look at the front cover of the book, it's kind of. Netflix description, if you will, is with Cisco away, Kaiwin takes command at Deep Space Nine, which isn't exactly how it goes. It's not, you know, Cisco's away, and so she just comes in and takes command. I mean, ultimately, they even say in the book that Shakar should be the one to take command since he's first minister. He's like the head of government, but we all know when and her lust for power and 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 taking that over. But um, the fact that that's kind of, I guess the frame for the, the story in the book and, and it takes up such little real estate within the book, you know, the book is actually about something completely different. You know, this is kind of the B or C plot almost of this book and, and that's almost the thing that I have the biggest problem with, because they could have fleshed out this time on Deep Space Nine with Kai Win in control, but it, it, it just didn't really go anywhere. And I, I kind of, every, anytime we came back to it, which wasn't very often, I kept thinking, like, why are we why are we doing this? Like, why are we visiting this? Like, let's get back to the other story. So, right. ultimately, I think it was probably a good idea, but it just at least in this first book, wasn't executed very well. I don't think like I, I, it left me wanting more, and I'm hoping we get more in the other books. But as it stands now, I don't really care, you know, much about. It, it's just a, a. It was almost like a way to to take up some words to get to a full word count for a novel mm-hmm. or something, right? Well, and
0: and what's interesting here too is that you know Kai Wynn is the one in charge, but it's actually Shakar who's supposed to be the leader right. on the station, and but he doesn't ever show up, which is weird. Like they, and I don't even remember them explaining why he hasn't shown up yet.
1: I, I think it was because Kai Wynn wanted to show up. Like I think at the beginning, Kira was just assuming that Shakar was going to show up, and then. Like, Wynne took it upon herself, like, as if she's got the authority to do that. But yeah, like, it didn't—you'd think Shakar would have shown up at some point.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, it is, it is, I guess, semi-interesting to have this kind of turn into, you know, uh, the way that uh, Bajorans—at least the way that Kai Wynne runs things specifically is to turn everything into almost a theocracy— you know, uh, and it's not quite that way, but specifically with Wynn in charge, it definitely feels like that here, which, you know, I-, I think when juxtaposed against, you know, I think the the way that like Kira would have things done is that it, it wouldn't be so theocratic. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it... it- I kind of just got to a point where I had to just, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess with Wyn. and and I, I understand that, you know, what we learned from her in the series was that she, you know, she wanted power. And I feel like this was just her way of taking some power. And yeah, like, I mean, kind of treating Kira, even, you, you know, I mean, she always called her child, but to, she was she was the epitome of a religious figure in this book. And so with her being in charge of the station, it, it just didn't make any sense. And I think it's partly because we haven't gotten really any of her backstory yet. We got some glimpses of it, um, but just I feel like not enough to really flush it out in this one.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then you have these aliens attack, you know, Emissary Sanctuary that... They're from the Gamma Quadrant. We don't really know who they are. Starfleet has locked down the quantum torpedoes uh, <laughs> because the apparently the Boudreaux aren't quite ready to use those yet. And, and yeah, I I feel exactly as you did. I kept, like, one, we didn't come back to this story very often. And then when we did, there felt like there was no movement in the story. So it just became... I, I I was I was just really lost as to why we were there. Yeah. Um, and 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 then on top of that, we have a strange mission with Cisco and the Defiant, who heads to Federation, uh, the edge of Federation space. Which I thought we already were at the edge of Federation space, but apparently the, the other, other edge. edge. Um, and <laughs> this is a, a a group of rogue, uh. Cardassians, who apparently have been disavowed by Central Command, have invaded a star system with the help of the Drekla species. uh, And the Tifnaki homeworld, which is maybe the most ludicrous planet I've ever had in Star Trek.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was like a planet of children. And they just, I mean their their whole lives revolve around tech but and they're surrounded by tech apparently their ancestors like were warp, warp capable and had all sorts of tech but then these people can barely tie their own shoes because they don't even know what rope is or like they don't you know like it's just everything is a discovery to them and you got to kind of wonder like how have these people survived this long and when you put on top of it that we've got the we they our Starfleet crew, anyways, keeps throwing out the Prime Directive like they need to follow it. Yet none of them the whole time is really following the Prime Directive. And I mean, th- this really is a strange mission because I, I mean I feel like too that the the. I guess the mission itself keeps changing because they're there to investigate and then they find out about these Cardassians, the rogue Cardassians, and kind of that they're there to, you know, take over these people and to take over this world, which is, of course, rich with latinum and dilithium and whatever else you could possibly want in the Star Trek universe. Technology we've never even heard yeah, of. Exactly. Um, to the point where we're now watching i don't know full metal jacket or i I don't know something where where they're like like training these people for war who who are essentially children and Mm -hmm. i don't know i was a lot more in into this story though i guess because i guess we got so much of it the you know Mm -hmm. 75 80 of the book was the story but it 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 wasn't your typical Deep Space Nine story. It wasn't the typical Deep Space Nine away mission.
0: I uh yeah. It I think your your thought that it's like this weird you know full metal jacket or you know uh, it's apocalypse yeah. now. I, it just the whole thing is so strange and and it is it, it yeah the 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 idea that there are the the Tifnaki or the Tifnac or I'm not sure exactly how you would say uh this this race but that they are so childlike and that they're addicted to tech that they just find lying around and then they kind of figure out how to use it and uh they're like toddlers with magic wands and they just kind of worship their technology and you know it, it was it was the one interesting thing about this Was the way in which it subtly reinforced the message that people who are given technology to which they have not earned. It's a bad thing that and this is it was an interesting reinforcement of the idea of the prime directive by showing what happens when you give people technology they're not ready for because they didn't earn. Which was great i i actually thought uh, as i was thinking about this race and like how ridiculous they are this really felt like a, a tos episode because mm. it almost felt like you know we're dealing with the I oceans uh here and so it it felt very similar to things we'd seen in, in star trek but it was very much reinforcing those those very classic star trek ideals which is that you know Technology is so dangerous to people like this because they haven't done anything to earn it and therefore they don't understand the power of it and they don't have any inclination of of what it could do because they haven't been through the hard earned process of trial and error and the errors really being the thing that help us learn the most, you know, about what not to do with technology as opposed to what to do with it. And so all of that was very interesting to me. And then you, you mentioned something too, which is, you know, Cisco kind of finds himself almost in a place where I just rewatched Star Trek insurrection where Picard realizes, Oh, the prime directive doesn't really apply here because, Somewhere along the way, these people had warp-capable technology, and the, the technology they have now comes from that type of civilization. It's just that these people, and we don't know how or why, have lost the knowledge of where it came from and how they got it and all those type of things. So... um it's a it's a it's kind of a double edged sword like part of this is really good and really interesting and i think i guess my question is,
1: is it just that it's maybe not written very well i I think that's a valid question because i mean I hadn't really kind of as I was reading it really put it in that perspective of you know that this kind of being a, a way, or you know, almost a, a warning, like this is what could happen if we were to, you know, give technology away a to people. Um, these people knew they were very smart, and 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 we we saw that in the, sh- in the in the book that when their power went out, they had a moment of freak out, and then they kind of figured out how to continue surviving without their technology. And and that was you know the weapon the Cardassians were using to shut off their technology and learning how learning how something works you know like this is this is the perfect place for Miles because it's maybe also in in addition to teaching them how to survive without their technology Miles should be showing them how the technology actually works so that they can do things to improve on it or like you get a shield up so that their technology won't fail or whatever it is. Um, And yeah, like it wasn't something that, that came across very well, even like Cisco's realization, but I, I do feel like that the writing had a major hand in some of the kind of points that could be lost easily on a reader understandably so
0: (laughs) yeah part of this too casey is is interesting because it does lead into a question of perspective that cisco gets into and 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 the idea of that you know he he brings it to this, which was, was really interesting, the, the idea of that. It was Frederick Douglass, a slave who had escaped slavery, who was able to be that movement's most gifted order. And and, and juxtaposing that with the same thing in Bajor, it wasn't the Bajorans who were the most directly controlled by the Cardassians, but it was the freedom fighters like Kira or people in Shakar's group who were able to escape the lash that gave them the perspective needed to see what was actually happening and then call it out. Um, and that the Tifnakis or Tifnaks or whatever they're called needed that perspective as well. And Cisco gives that to them by seeing the way in which the Cardassians and, and the Drekla overtake one of those cities where they turn off the technology and then the people are helpless. And then it, 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 it forges in them this this realization that we have to something has to change. Like like that we're in it's that moment where you realize you're in danger and that danger is coming for you, and then if you don't do something about it, uh then you're kind of screwed you know um and it brings to it lights the fires and cisco says this it, it it awakens the burning fires of justice in them
1: yeah this was one of the most kind of poignant parts of the book that i feel like was actually done pretty well um you know between um i guess it wasn't so much a speech by cisco as kind of just his own his own thoughts about all of this um and it just the this was actually a good way that that was kind of tied in, although loosely to the to what was actually happening on Emissary's Sanctuary, where you've got you know the Bajorans liberated themselves from the Cardassians after the occupation. They didn't, you know, it wasn't like Starfleet swooped in and and saved the day. You know, they they rose up from that themselves, and 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 that's where Cisco's kind of almost likening it to um you know frederick douglas who had escaped from slavery and helped others to escape as well and so you know with them like they're kind of swooping in with the tifnackis and and training them and and everything but the alternative though is that the, the tifnackis are either going to be occupied by the Cardassians or just flat out murdered um and so there there is kind of that in like allowing the Tifnakis to see you know everything that's that's kind of going on around them and and what it is that they need to learn in order to survive you know they they eventually pick that up themselves and start kind of figuring out how to um. Repelled down a cliff, for example, like which they were kind of being all playful about the first time, but when it really came down to it, they were really innovative and figured out ways to uh, solve their own problems. And then you put that, you know, into perspective as well with what was going on in emissary sanctuary with Win and Kira there. By and again, this wasn't really maybe done very well, but you know the fact that. Since the occupation, they've really been kind of leaning on Starfleet like her crutch, even to the point where Kira is doing everything she can to get the um, the security lockout for the quantum torpedoes turned off so that they can use those. And granted, maybe they need some of those. If they join the Federation, they would you know, be able to get them some quantum torpedoes. But ultimately... The one, and I hate to uh, like agree with when, but it's like they're trying to solve this problem themselves, you know, without calling in Starfleet to come swoop in and save the day and everything, and Mm -hmm. kind of trying to use what's right in front of them there on the station in order to solve their own problems. And I, I just thought that whole idea and kind of, I mean, even Cisco's. Perspective on uh, the Tifnackies and everything that was going on was, I thought, really well fleshed out in the in the story, and really kind of mm-hmm. helped drive drive forward the Tifnackie story, and made me actually start to kind of yeah. care about them a little bit. I like what you said there because that point of contention between Wynn
0: and Kira is, is interesting to me because what I felt in reading that part of the story and how it was connecting with everything else, especially what we were talking about with perspective, is that Kira, I think, actually is the one who has the right perspective, which is that it is okay to be part of a team mm-hmm. like the Federation where we all lean on one another because we are in need of each other. We're not just in the galaxy alone, Right. And Wynne has that, I think, very proud, what we know her for, uh, streak in her, which is that, you know, she's doing this thing as a point of pride and not really for any other point. And I, I think because there is the need to learn to do things for one's own. But there's also a need to balance that with the fact that we all do need one another, right? And so I think it's that balancing act to which I think Kira has learned to understand because of her time on Deep Space Nine. And Wynn hasn't, obviously. And it's obviously the thing that, you know, right, these, these the, the Tivnaki people don't have, right? They They have no understanding of how to... Uh, even lean on themselves because they, they have no basic understanding of even how the universe itself works. They have no science. They have no education. They have no nothing, right? And so we're getting to this point here where it's like Cisco needs to make them less reliant on things that they don't understand and build from the ground up, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, places where they can learn to rely on themselves, and then they can learn to rely on others, which it's, uh, the again, the thing here is that what's actually being, I think, done in the book thematically is not a bad thing. I just don't think it's necessarily fleshed out or written very well, which is another really interesting point because Cork has a point where, you know, he talks about, and, and they they call these people natives because they don't have even a generic real a name for themselves really. They have a village, they have that village, they're all disconnected from one another and Cork actually brings to light like the idea of and and Odo backs him up, you know, it is merchants with trading routes who converted isolated city-states into great nations because they began to connect with one another. Uh, and that commerce is not necessarily a bad thing because commerce is a way in which people are able to, oh, you have that thing I need. I have this thing you need. We trade with one another. We we, we create this uh, economy that where we realize that we are in need of one another and that we have value to one another. And then that value can actually get translated into something less transactional and more relational as we grow, but that all starts with trade. And so I I was really interested in this because, um, you know, and that's something to which, you know, when we're in the 24th century, it's, it's hard for those people to even really see that because we're so far beyond people needing that and yet when we're building a society from the ground up that is really important and so i, I just uh, it it's it's almost um it's almost a repudiation of the idea in star trek that you know you can just have the society where um we don't need uh trade we don't need commerce we don't need any of those things and that's actually not true because even the star trek universe still doesn't deal completely with a not a society that has no economy whatsoever
1: right i mean but just like i mean yeah i i feel like with quark you know like that's that's where his mind goes and it isn't so much Knowing Quark, and had Quark been written as he kind of actually was on the show, I don't think that he would have necessarily taken those natives aside to teach them commerce f- to that end. Uh, you know, I think in the book, they kind of tried to make it seem like he was kind of almost making it up as he went along. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, um he... I mean, this is, I guess, one of the good things about Quark and really even just the Ferengi in general is that they're supposed to be kind of a representation of humans and, and our capitalistic nature, our economics and and everything. And being able to kind of, you know, for, for Cisco to even really kind of give Quark a, um, kind of the benefit of the doubt, I guess, with this, um, one, shows kind of what a good captain cisco is that he could have just i mean quark didn't even have to come with him in the first place he seemed at the at the beginning a little shoehorned into the story but um Mm -hmm. if if it was all for this kind of lesson and and you know having quark kind of save the day it it did actually kind of work um you know like because these like we've Seen multiple instances now, and especially again with this one with Quark, of they're a very teachable species, a race of people. Like, and right. so I think you know that's something we're seeing a lot throughout this story, and to give them this idea of commerce and trade as a way to connect with the other villages, like they don't, they don't really talk with the others you know on the planet like ever and so like for this to be a way to kind of start that communication i think was a really great way for this um this kind of story to continue to unfold mm-hmm.
0: yeah no i i definitely agree with you there with um another part of the story that we end up with is that uh, dax is is transferred back uh to the defiant and ends up in command uh, and when they're attacked, it leads to some of the craziest shenanigans we've seen uh, this side of the Kelvinverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, what did you end up thinking about that, Casey? Because, um, yeah, we, uh, we you know, we end up under the ocean uh, and then the possibility of one of the craziest uh, ideas of how to Contact Cisco. I I don't know. It's um.
1: It, hmm. it, I I had the Kelvin verse thought too as soon as I read it. I I don't know why people insist on taking spaceships underwater. Um, but I uh, you know, it it was innovative in ways I guess, and it it was something interesting for Dax to do and for the Defiant to do while. Everything else is going on. I guess um, I feel like there were other ways that they could have. I, I almost feel like I guess that the author maybe wrote himself into a corner with the defiant and why not just land it somewhere? I, I don't know. It was just mm-hmm. it. It was it was Kelvin verse. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Re- I, I'm never really bothered the idea of taking a starship underwater. Obviously, it. Ugh. There should be real reason why you wouldn't be able to do so. Um And um, I, I think that the thing for me became the way in which they've decided that they are going to then try and contact Cisco by taking a shuttlecraft out of the ship and i think they even said runabout which would be completely wrong on the defiant there's no room for that uh and that as it's being crushed then they would get to a point where then they would be released with their scuba gear and then they would climb the rest of the way to and i was just thinking to myself why can't the defiant just move itself up a few hundred meters Uh, To a point where the shuttlecraft or whatever it is that you're saying you're going to ride in could go out safely. Like, I, I, it, it, this, this whole thing was legitimately nonsensical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it,
1: um, yeah. I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I just, it it was it was weird it seemed unnecessary and it was just another place that felt like maybe the author trying to fill space to get the word count to get a full novel um yeah there's so many different ways i feel like it could have been handled to where uh it it just would have made more sense i mean the fact that even like when dax was practicing she had to shut the simulation off because she was too freaked out which one i don't think dax would have been freaked out by no and two um she's a starfleet officer and she basically uh i don't remember who it was she was with but they're basically like yeah we'll just we'll just we've practiced the first half we'll just wing it the second half yeah that seems like a good thing to do for a life-threatening mission you're about to Mm -hmm. embark on yeah it was it was it was a weird part for sure
0: yeah yeah none of it made sense uh at all um So one of the things that I had a quick question about, you know, we have uh, Odo thinks he sees a founder uh, with the Cardassians and that they may be involved in all of this, which, you know, this takes place. It's supposed to take place within season four Mm -hmm. leading into season five, I guess, before we have the revelation. And so do you think that the founders are going to be a part of this more so or is
1: Odo seeing things? I, I'm afraid that we're going to see some founders here. <laughs> like, um, you know, they don't they don't dwell on it too much, but they, you know, Odo has some thoughts about it, and uh, I don't see him as the kind of guy that's going to let his eyes trick him, especially when he's in the form of a hawk and he's got like hawk like eyes and and everything. Like he he knows what he saw, and so I do have a feeling we're. We're we're gonna be there, and I mean it's. There were other things too that the author brought in that maybe wouldn't get revealed on the show Deep Space Nine until later. Like even Bashir's genetic enhancement. There's like a throwaway line somewhere about him having to be careful to, um, or, or that he it was vital that he hide his advanced genetics from his friends, which didn't wasn't ever revealed until like midway or kind of the later half of season five. So we're really bringing in elements from later. And so for here, I I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, a founder has infiltrated this kind of rogue Cardassian group and is going to do whatever kind of shenanigans a founder will do there.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I I mean, it felt a little obvious uh, and so yeah, um, I, I guess a question that I'm I'm really interested to ask you is just about we we've kind of talked about the writing style and the and everything, but the tone and and the portrayal of the characters here since this is supposed to be uh, season four and most likely late season four, how how did you feel like that was done
1: for this book? Badly. I I just it it was. Especially once Worf showed up, I was like, okay, this is definitely after season four, but the way the characters were written felt like the author had never watched the show before and maybe was just using character profiles from like the series Bible or something like that. Because, I mean, Dax is a sarcastic person. She's got wit and everything, but in this book, it was just laid on so thick. Um he, some of even just like the words like he kept calling Odo a, a shape changer instead of a shape shifter and they used the word changeling once but otherwise it was shape changer we've never heard that term before and it was I, I don't know I mean Cisco was I feel like pretty close to Cisco but even like Worf and um, you know Odo Quark like they all just weren't quite right and it Mm -hmm. like I said it it felt like a book that would have come out maybe during the first or second season of Deep Space Nine Um, Mm -hmm. and it just it wasn't working and there was a couple things that I noticed right at the beginning of the book Um, I think it might have actually been um, when Kira was trying to unlock the torpedoes it might have actually been before that but she gives her authorization code as Bravo Alpha Bravo, Echo, and I didn't think anything of it when I read that. And then she tries using Cisco's authorization code, Hugo Uniform November Kilo, which spells out Hunk. And then I went back and looked at hers again, and it spells out Babe. And I was just like, okay, they're a little too on the nose with the trying to be funny here in this book, and just like, it was all downhill from there. Yeah, I think you've said it really well in the sense that
0: th- it does feel like there's a lot that just doesn't work tone wise. And it's partly because, and we've said so many times, you know, if you're doing tie in fiction, one of the most important things is to capture the voice of the characters. And I think most of the characters, if not all of the characters, never all sound completely right here. And a lot of times they sound more wrong than right um and maybe they've got a right to be wrong i don't know uh but it's um yeah a little joss stone for you there folks um i'm not gonna sing it but it's uh it's just it, it's frustrating um uh, because you know as we talked about i think that there are some really interesting thematic elements in this story that I think Deep Space Nine does well, which is kind of turn things on their head, right? And and to look at the preconceived notions of the TNG era and challenge them. And so the frustrating part is that the writing doesn't allow the book to live up to its potential in that way. So I guess my biggest question comes down to Casey, what are you going to rate Rebels the Conquered?
1: Um I gave this one uh 2 pieces of tech found lying around out of 5 um and as I I really hate to say it but it's not even a very strong 2 I mean I it's it's not bad enough that I I don't want to give it a 1 star rating um because yeah there were interesting ideas and themes and I mean I'm even curious where they could go with Kai Win in charge of Emissary Sanctuary, formerly Deep Space Nine, formerly Terak Nor. It's just that the execution of the story, the tying together of the two storylines, just uh, it it took me a while to read this book, and it's like a hundred pages on my iPad or something like that. It was very short. And um I, I just had trouble kind of getting into it sometimes. And so I, I'm really looking forward to where the other two books go, especially now that I kind of have a framework for the writing style and how the characters are. I'm I'm hoping that, you know, as we get into the other books that I can kind of really get into the stories a little bit more, but, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. this one, you know, is, is the first book of the trilogy. I had to give it to how about, uh, where Where did you, how, how many pieces of tech are you given this one?
0: Yeah, uh, I so I rated this on Goodreads, and I had given it two, and then I said it was 2.5 out of five. But as we talked about this, it is definitely a two. And I, I 100% agree with everything that you said. Um, I think you summed it up very well about, what the issues are in this book and and the frustrations that I have with it as well. Uh, It was, it was just unfortunate because, and it's always annoying when you can see potential and then that potential isn't played out well. And so, you know, I think we were able to kind of be very constructive in the criticism as to where we thought, oh man, this is, this has, you You could do so much with this it, and it, then, you know, the execution just isn't there. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, the station formerly known as, insert here, um, it just, uh, it's just not, not what I'd hoped. But like you said, let's hope that uh, the next two books are better.
1: Well, it's kind of a bummer when we don't have the the greatest book in the world to read but i know that's not going to be the case next week i know next week it's going to be a great book and you know we had some great comics this week too and we've got some star trek picard that's currently airing as we record this it's it's a great time to be a star trek fan and i'm uh, just diving into all of it i'm right there
0: with you casey you know you you can't win with everything Uh, And so sometimes you get a clunker and and that's okay. But like you said, there's so much to be excited for with the comics we've got going on. John Jackson Miller coming next week with his new Star Trek Strange New Worlds book. And yes, Star Trek Picard's happening now, which why isn't it Thursday yet as we're recording this? I don't know. Can we just speed up time or, you know?
1: And listeners, whatever day you're listening to this, is it Thursday yet? We need new episodes. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Is it Thursday yet? But, Casey, if uh, people want to catch up with you, see what else you've got going on these days, where would they find you?
1: Probably working, but uh, if I happen to grace my presence or grace social media with my presence, uh, it would be on uh, Goodreads, Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, all the places, at Knitting Trekkie. And then uh, I also poke around in the Babel Conference on Facebook from time to time. Where can people find you? You can find me all over the place uh, on social media, Rushing 2
0: Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero are the places I'm most active. Uh, you can also, of course, find me here on the network and our whole other side of the network that we don't talk about Star Trek, the 602 Club. So if you like phantoms like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Bonds, and all things else uh, that in that area, You'll want to check out the 602 Club. Of course, you can also find me doing The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, and The Artificial Tango is going strong again as we dive into Star Trek Picard Season 3. I'm so excited, so I hope you'll check that out. But, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long
1: and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.